Okay, well, let's get into the Word. Um, last Sunday, I'm not going to re- uh, go over it all, but very simply, we, we looked at a couple things. One was we mentioned that Bible prophecy, prophecy itself, is not a mystery. It's not complicated, okay? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, look, I show you a mystery, as he's talking about end-time things. And that word mystery is mysterion, which means a secret revealed, right? If you buy a mystery novel, why do you buy it? So that it doesn't tell you what happens at the end? No, you buy it so when you get to the end, it tells you what has happened, right? It's a mystery novel. It reveals it. In the same way, uh, Scripture or Bible prophecy is not mysterious in the sense that we think that it's vague. No, it's, it's, it's made to be known to us that we can understand. A revelation we can understand. And also we talked about the fact that this period of time that's becoming increasingly more popular as we see world events taking place that commonly is called the tribulation or great tribulation is actually a misnomer. That's not the biblical name for it. It's actually called Daniel's 70th week. This seven-year period yet to be fulfilled that we understand is going to happen probably in the days to come Um, It is called Daniel's 70th week. It's the 70th of 70 weeks of of prophecy that God gave to Daniel. 69 were fulfilled up to the very day that Jesus was crucified, and then it stopped. And there's one prophetic week of seven years left to be fulfilled. And within that seven-year period, as we'll see in a few moments, there is the tribulation, there is the great tribulation, and there is the wrath of God. And the reason we've been discussing this topic in the fall, I believe it's so relevant to us, is because in light of what God is doing in this church today, he's restoring the fivefold ministry gifts to the body. He is releasing, activating the body, local believers, understanding once again that the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were never intended to be contained by celebrities in the church. They were for every single person who names the name of Jesus. Jesus said, for those who believe in me, in my name they will. Cast out demons, they will heal the sick, they will do all these things. Who? Everyone. Everyone. And God has given ministry gifts to the church by the way of pastor, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and so on. Why? To begin to raise up those same gifts within the body that they continue and that they're used in the marketplace and not just on the platform. Okay. Well, the question I want to answer this morning is why does understanding end times really matter? Why is this something we should not be flippant about or indifferent about? I believe the answer is found eloquently in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 11, it says this. The Lord says, speaking about Antichrist, he, the Antichrist, in these last days, will tell lies and cause those who have not obeyed God to be ruined. Now read the rest with me. But the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. Stop there for a second. When we understand what the Lord is doing in these last days, what he's stirring in his body, what's he preparing us for? So as things begin to be unraveled in these last days, as we see already seem to be beginning, that we will be a people who will be able to stand firm when everybody else is shaken. We'll be able to stand firm, but also take action. Hear me, saints. The Lord has not called us just to hold on and survive till Jesus comes. He's called us to be a people who discern the days in which we live and who take action. Because there's a world that needs Jesus. And they'll recognize it even more as things get shaken away. And then he says, those who are wise will what? Help others understand what's happening. Doesn't that make sense? The last thing you want to be as a Christian when somebody says, hey, what's happening? I don't know, but just don't take the mark. (laughs) Right? Oh, nobody really knows. No, we do know. And we'll see more in just a few moments. Now, by a show of hands, how many believe that when Jesus comes, he will come as a thief in the night? Show of hands. Go ahead. Nice and proud. Okay. How many believe that when Jesus comes, he will not come as a thief in the night? Okay, I see hands like me. The answer is you're both right. Okay, you're both right. How do you know that? Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you'd had your Bibles, you could open it and mark it down. But we'll do that next week. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it contains one scripture, the one scripture that most Christians agree across the board refers to the rapture or the coming of the Lord to take his church. Here we read in verse 15, this is the word of the Lord. We who are alive in him and remain on earth when the Lord appears will by no means have an advantage over those who have already died. For both will rise together. I'm reading from the Passion Translation this morning. For the Lord himself will appear with the declaration of victory, the shout of an archangel, and the trumpet blast of God. 
He will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ to rise first. Then we who are alive will join them, transported together in clouds to have an encounter with the Lord in the air. How many believe that's the rapture? Right? Pretty straightforward. And I'll mention what that is in just a moment for those who may not understand. And we will be forever joined with the Lord. So encourage one another with these truths. Now, keep this in mind. When the Bible was written, there was no such thing as chapters, right? Chapters, verses were introduced to the Bible to help us study the Bible for easy reference, okay? But when they wrote letters, which, which are what the epistles or different books of the Bible are, they were just letters like when you write a letter, new paragraph, same, same page or whatever. And so what I'm saying is that's the end of chapter 4 we just read. When we come to chapter 5, the thought is continuing. Does that make sense? Okay, there's no break in the flow. So we've just talked about the rapture. Now Paul says this, next verse. Now, brothers and sisters, concerning the question about God's precise times and specific seasons, you don't, need, you don't need me to write anything to you. For you already know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly and is a complete surprise. Another translation says, like a thief in the night. For while some are saying, whew, finally we have peace and security, then sudden destruction will arrive at their doorstep, like labor pain squeezing a pregnant woman and with no chance of escape. Okay, so there you have it, right? The Bible says when Jesus comes, he's going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to come as a complete surprise. Okay, that sounds great. The problem is don't stop reading there. Next verse, but you, say but you. But you, look to the person beside you and say but you. Okay, but, but, okay, no buts. We have a but here. But you, brothers and sisters, speaking to Christians, are not living in the dark. You're not allowing that day, what day? The day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, to creep up on you. You see the difference? You're not allowing that day, but here's my question. Are you allowing that day to creep up on you? Are you asleep today? You may be a follower of Christ, but are you apathetic? Are you lethargic? Are you not listening to the Holy Spirit when he's convicting you of things, showing you things? Because you see, if you are, if you're slopping your walk with Christ, you will be surprised. That day will creep up on you because the kingdom is not a priority to you. But if it is, you won't be surprised. It won't, it won't creep up on you like a thief coming to steal. Why? For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. But since we belong to the day, okay, he's assuming since we're following Christ, we must stay alert and clear-headed by placing the breastplate of faith and love over our hearts and a helmet of the hope of salvation over our thoughts. Read this last verse. For God has not destined us to experience wrath, but to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word salvation means deliverance, being saved from something, which we'll see as well in a few moments, okay? So we have the, 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 the division in that seven-year period of tribulation, great tribulation, and wrath. Paul is very clear, you will not be here for the wrath of God, very clear, okay? We believe that across the board in our Pentecostal circles. So the question is this, if Jesus is not coming as a thief to us, his people, then wouldn't it make sense that he would give us some signs or indicators as to when the timing of his coming was drawing near? Would it not make sense? If it's not going to be a surprise for us, well, the only way it can not be a surprise is if we know some things that will happen before he returns. That's what Jesus meant, I believe, when he said, when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your salvation is drawing near. Okay? Well, how can I know that my salvation is drawing near, the Lord's return is near, if I don't have some indications of when these things are taking place? Does that make sense? He says, when you begin to see these things take place, well, how can I know if I don't know what to look for? Now, return to the book of Revelation. Last week, we looked at the first three chapters. When you go to chapter 4, I'm not going to read it, but when you go to chapter 4, verse 1, after Jesus has told John the reason why he's given this revelation, after he's dictated to John the messages he wants him to deliver literal, to the literal seven churches in that day, we come to chapter 4, and Jesus says this in verse 1. He says, John, come up here, and I will show you what must soon take place. 
Now, remember Revelation 1, verse 1. We shared last week. It begins this way. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God the Father gave to Jesus. Why? To show his servants the things that must soon take place. Now, revelation is not a revelation of Jesus. It's a revelation for Jesus. Now, hold on for a second. You say, well, it is a revelation of Jesus. Yes, it is. It's a revelation of Jesus. We see Jesus described just like we do in Daniel chapter 7 with the hair and the eyes burned and the sword from the mouth and so on. We see him as the majestic, sovereign God again. But the purpose of this book is stated in verse 1. Jesus is given a revelation to give to his servants to understand the things that must take place. It's clearly there, black and white. And so he says the same thing here to John. After he's talked with the seven churches, okay, John, Come up here into the throne room. Why? For the reason that God has given me this revelation. I'm going to now begin to unpack this for you. Now, in John chapter 5, verse 1, Revelation 5, verse 1, John writes this of Jesus. He said, And I saw that the one seated on the throne was holding in his right hand an unopened scroll. It was closed with writing on the inside and on the outside. And it was sealed with seven seals. Something hit me, and I'm, I'm kind of slow. I am. I'm not really a brilliant, brilliant person, but when I get it, I get it, and I, when I get a hold of something, I kind of, you know, dig into it, hold on to it, and when I get it, it's exciting. And it just kind of dawned on me. This is probably something you already know, or preachers here, you probably know this already. But it just kind of dawned on me when I thought of these seven seals. My mind went back to Daniel chapter 12, where God gives Daniel this revelation of end-time events. And after it's all given to him and some other things that probably aren't even recorded, he tells Daniel in verse 4 to seal the revelation until the last days. And it dawned on me, the same Jesus who gave Daniel this revelation but said, now seal it until the end, is the same Jesus who gave me the same revelation and says, now in your day, you can unseal it and understand it. Now, I could be out to left field on this, but I sat in my office for about five minutes just going, wow, God. <laughs> like, like, wow, wow. This mighty man of God, Daniel, who received this revelation, had to close it up. The same Jesus says to me, hey, open it up. I'm going to show you what I showed Daniel so that you can understand as well. Now, the scroll in Jesus' hand is closed with seven seals. I preached on end times a long time ago, and a lady came up to me, Dead serious, she said, I thought you meant literal seals. Like, oh, 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 seals. You know, beach ball on the nose. Okay, so I thought I better put a diagram in there just so you don't go away with some weird ideas. So it's closed with seven seals. And when Daniel 70 week begins, we mentioned last week, according to Daniel 9.27, this last prophetic week of seven years will begin when Israel signs a peace treaty with the one we know will be the Antichrist. He will appear as a world leader, appear to have the answers to everything. And, and how many of us understand today that in a global community, the world is looking for a world leader, right? The world is, it's there already. We're just looking for somebody that has the answer. Well, Israel's the same way. Israel is a secular state, okay? They have Orthodox Jews, obviously, within the borders, but it's essentially a secular state. And so they're looking for someone to come around with this peace deal because of their own situation. So the Bible says in Daniel 9, 27, that the day will come when Israel will sign a peace treaty of seven years with whom we know to be the Antichrist. They will literally be signing a deal with the devil. In any case, when they do that, that's when the first of these seven seals are going to be broken. Now, what we're going to see is the first six of these seven seals, they all contain particular events that when they're opened, they will begin to be unleashed. The seventh seal simply just opens the last of them so that you can open the scroll. And the scroll actually contains the wrath of God, the judgment of God, which is going to be manifest in seven trumpet judgments, seven bull judgments that we'll see at another time. But these judgments upon the earth take place after the church is taken away. We are not here for the wrath of God. So returning to the seven-year period of time yet future, we move to Revelation 6. 
where Jesus begins to lay out for us, his servants, the order of events that will precede the rapture or the taking away of the church and the unleashing of God's wrath upon Satan, upon the kingdom of Antichrist, and upon all those who follow him. That, by the way, is what the day of the Lord is. The day of the Lord is not, as some have have thought, when Jesus returns with his saints at the end, okay, to destroy Antichrist and to set up his millennial kingdom. That is not the day of the Lord. Scripture is very clear that at the day of the Lord, two things happen. The church is removed, and then the wrath of God begins to be poured out. In fact, that's what confused John the Baptist, right? Because when Jesus came, John was the one who preached about Jesus, you know, prepare the way uh, of the coming Messiah, uh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, all that stuff. But then now John is in prison. He sees what Jesus is doing. He's not bringing wrath. He's not bringing judgment. He's not overthrowing human government. All the things that Israel believed the Messiah was going to come and do, right? It wasn't a matter of them changing. No, no, we don't have to change. Messiah is going to come and make life real comfortable for us. Not a whole lot different than the way a lot of Christians believe today, <laughs> right? We're not going to have any hardship. We've got God in our back pocket. He's here to guarantee that our dreams come true. That's what it means to be a Christian. Well, it doesn't. You see, and what did John say? He sent one of his disciples. He said, go ask Jesus, are you the one? Imagine that after all John preached. Oh, Jesus, did I make a mistake? Are you the one or should we be looking for somebody else? Why? Because John was confused. John came in the spirit of Elijah. You know, the, the, lamb is, the, wrath, the day of his wrath is coming when Messiah comes. He didn't see this whole thing called the church age. The prophets of old didn't see it. And, of course, that's what we're living in today. But that's a, a bit of an aside. We'll get more into that next time. So the disciples knew that the prophets of old spoke of the end of the age as the harvest. You may be familiar with that term. To them, the harvest was the time when all the wheat, all those who follow God are gathered together, gathered in, and then all the chaff, those who reject God, are burned in the fire. The apostle Paul wrote, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, that when the Lord comes, we will be gathered to him. That's where we get the term rapture. The word rapture is simply a Latin word that's used to describe a gathering in or a catching up. You know, to be enraptured with something, you're kind of caught up in it. So it's just a Latin word that is used, just like we use the word Trinity to describe the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Trinity is not found in the Bible, just a term that we use. Same thing with the word rapture. So we just use that to describe this, this catching up. So Jesus describes to John the events that will transpire when each of these six seals are opened. And this coincides perfectly with the same order that Jesus laid out for his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. And I'm kind of sticking to my notes because I don't want to go really long, um, at least not past my regular time, so, um, or even be shorter. But what we're reading here in Revelation with these six seals being peeled back, it coincides perfectly in the sequence of events that we read in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is coming toward the end of his ministry. He's going to be going toward the cross. The disciples know this by now, okay? So what's going on? Lord, what, what does this all mean? What's going to happen to your kingdom? What you, what you came to bring? What's going to be the sign? You know? So they ask Jesus this question in verse 3. They say, Lord, tell us, when will these things happen? And what supernatural sign should we expect to signal your coming and the completion of the age? Do they recognize The day of the Lord was his coming and the wrapping up of human history as we know it. That's the question they asked. Now, in Revelation 6, what we have is the same Jesus speaking to John as the Jesus who spoke to his disciples in Matthew 24. Does that make sense? It's the same Jesus. Why do we have different imagery? Very simple, I believe, because in Revelation, what we have taken place is taken place in the spirit realm. John is with Jesus in the realm of the Spirit, okay? And so what John is seeing is what first happens in the spirit realm before it breaks onto the physical realm. Does that make sense? Because anything that happens in this realm, it's born of the Spirit. This world came from the spirit realm, right? It breaks in on the human realm. And so Jesus is explaining or showing John something that happens spiritually. And then in Matthew 24, what you'll see, the exact same order of events, Jesus is saying, this is how you're going to see it in the earthly realm. You're not going to see a rider on a white horse. You're going to see the manifestation in the physical realm of that activity taking place. Okay? So we have those two passages, and I'm going to show you this as we put these side by side. I know this is familiar to some others that may not be. So I'll go through it quickly. 
We have the first seal, Revelation 6, verse 1. John says, Then I watched as the Lamb broke open the first of the seven seals. Immediately I heard one of the four living creatures call it with a powerful voice of revelation sounding like thunder and saying to John, Come forth, come here. So I looked, and behold, there was a bright white horse. Its rider had a bow and was given a crown of victory. He rode out as a conqueror ready to conquer. Now, who is that rider on the white horse? Well, we don't know from reading Revelation, but if we go to Matthew 24, the same Jesus explaining the same sequence, but this time to his disciples on the earth, he says this in, verse 20, in chapter 24, verse 5. Many will appear on the scene claiming my authority or saying about themselves, I am God's anointed, or I am the Christ, and will deceive many, lead many astray. Now, there have been many people down through the ages who were delusional enough to believe they were Jesus, right? So we, we know that's not uncommon. But what we do see when Daniel's 70th week, this final seven-year period begins, what we do see is there will be emergence of one who will call himself the Christ, the Savior of the world, okay? We know as a world leader, scripturally we know as one who will reveal himself later as the Antichrist. He'll claim to be the Messiah, and Israel will make a deal with him unwittingly and again as a deal with the devil. That's the first seal in Revelation 6. That's the first sign Jesus said to look for in, in Matthew 24. We go to the second seal in verse 3 of Revelation 6. When he broke open the second seal, I heard the second living creature call out, Come forth. And there appeared another horse, red like fiery flames. And its rider was given a great sword and the power to take peace from earth, causing one to put to death another. Now, this is obviously referring to war. Jesus says the same to his disciples in the next verse in Matthew 24. He says, You will hear of wars nearby and revolutions on every side, with more rumors of wars to come. Don't panic or give in to your fears. Why? Because you're going to be here. Don't panic or give in to your fears. For the breaking away a part of the world's systems is destined to happen. But it won't yet be the end. It will still be unfolding. One of the things we're seeing today in, in Western cultures in particular, I don't mean just North America, I mean the UK, any nations around the world that are democratic, what are we seeing? We are seeing the eroding of democracy, aren't we? We're seeing inner turmoil, inner conflict. When you look at World War II, it wasn't just a matter of, 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 of Germany or the Nazis uh, invading Poland. No, this was happening, this, this, this underbelly of, 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 of uh, fascism and, and socialism, these things were beginning to erupt all around the world. In Russia, Soviet Union, Italy, Spain, different nations around the world. You see, the spirit of the world is at work causing unrest in countries, preparing them for a world war. And we're seeing the same thing happen today. We're seeing nations that are typically democratic, typically founded on biblical values and so on. We're seeing all that being eroded, and we're seeing these, in a sense, these revolutions that are beginning in our nations, right? We're seeing today that you would never dreamed of it, but in the United States and Canada, we're seeing the rise of socialism, radical leftism, all these ideas that were so counter to what democracy is. But we see a new generation, and we see a lot of deception going on. So that's happening within nations today. We come to the third seal in Revelation 6. Then he broke open the third seal. I heard the third living creature call out, Come forth, and behold, I saw a black horse right in front of me, and its rider was holding measuring scales. And I heard what seemed to be a voice from among the living creatures saying, A small measure of wheat for a day's pay, and three measures of barley for a day's pay. And of course, that's talking about food shortages, which always follows war, Right? Matthew 24, Jesus is the same thing in verse 7. And there will be horrible epidemics and famines in place after place. How many of us understand that we live in a culture today that no longer depends on the local farmer? Right? We are impacted by global economy. We're impacted by global agriculture. Something can happen in the other parts of the world, and all of a sudden you have to suffer for Jesus because you can't make guacamole anymore. You can't get avocados. You know, just go to Costco. Everything comes from everywhere else but New Brunswick, right? So it doesn't take long for something to happen in another part of the world, and food shortages happen very quickly. The fourth seal. When he broke open the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature call out, Come forth, and behold, I saw a green horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Death's domain followed him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, famine, death, and by the wild beasts. 
Now, during the second seal, it seems that what you see happening in this kind of military unrest and, and, and unrest in nations is you kind of see these sectarian groups or these factious groups beginning to form, and they're weakening countries from within. By the time we get to the fourth seal, the difference is now we're seeing nations go to war against one another. And it also coincides with what Jesus said in verse 7 of Matthew 24. He tells the disciples, nations will go to war against each other and kingdom against kingdom. You see, one of the reasons, and I don't want to get sidetracked, we're going to delve more into this mid-period next week and, and focus a lot on Israel as well. But one of the things that um, I was going to say, I just lost my train of thought. It'll come back. It was important. Okay, um, let's go on. Do you remember the question? What was the question the disciples asked Jesus? Okay, because this is what this is all about, this whole progress that's being unfolded. They said, Jesus, what supernatural sign should we expect to signal your coming and the completion of this age? Okay, that's what they're asking for. What should we look for? What is it that's going to show that your, your return is just around the corner? And Jesus answers them by laying out the events that will lead up to this supernatural sign. That's what we're reading so far, the events that lead up to this one sign that they're looking for. And Jesus says this in verse 8, This is how the first contractions and birth pains of the new age will begin. And by new age, he's not talking about the new age movement or the dawn of the age of Aquarius. For those of us who are old, remember that song. Uh, what he's talking about this new age is the new age that he is ushering in. That's what we are looking for with bated breath. We can't wait till it happens. Now, by this time, remember that seven-year period, Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year period that's yet to begin, but will begin when Israel signs the covenant with the Antichrist. By this time now, in the fourth seal, we're at the midpoint of that 70th week. We're three and a half years in. And there's ways that we know that very simply because Scripture says there's seven years, but time and time again in prophetic Scripture, you'll hear the terms, three and a half years, or 42 months, or 1,260 days, which on a Jewish calendar is actually three and a half years. So when it says that, you know exactly where you line up in that seven-year period. That's what we see here. But in the middle of this seven-year period, what we're going to see is a time when literally all hell breaks loose. And it breaks loose because Satan's wrath will begin to be poured out against mankind. And that's what brings us to the fifth seal. Um, here's what I was going to say. Is that, oh, never mind. I can't I get distracted. Because actually, I forgot again. <laughs> it just came to my mind and left, so I don't think the Lord wants me to say it. Okay, I'm just trying to, you know, learn hearing God. And right now, he's just saying, shut up and keep moving. Okay. <laughs> the fifth seal. Okay, shut up is Greek for be quiet. Okay. <laughs> Revelation 6, verse 9. Okay, we come to the fifth seal. When the Lamb broke open the fifth seal... I saw gathered under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because they had the testimony of the Lamb. Who were they? Christians. Nobody else qualifies. They cried out with a loud voice saying, Sovereign Lord, holy and true or dependable, how long before you judge those who live on the earth and vindicate our blood on them? Each of them was given a glistening white robe, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number was fulfilled of both their fellow servants and brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. That's the fifth seal. The fifth seal is unleashed at the midpoint, the three-and-a-half-year period, as we'll see in just a moment. Matthew 24, Jesus is moving right along the exact same track in talking to John. He says this to his disciples. He says, at this point... You can expect to be persecuted. Another translation says they will deliver you up to tribulation. Even killed, for you will be hated by all nations because of your love for me. Anybody kind of sense some animosity against Christians in our culture today? Is it just me? Am I paranoid? You kind of get a sense, right? Okay. Then, verse 10, many will stop following me and fall away. Don't think because you're sitting in church here this morning you're going to stand for Jesus. No, no. Some of us may very well fall away. And I believe with all my heart, one of the reasons I teach this is because I believe my responsibility as a pastor and shepherd is to make sure none of you fall away. To make sure none of this comes as a surprise to you. Because in most of our North American culture, this is going to come as a complete surprise. And people, I believe, by the tens of thousands, if not more, are going to bail out of the church because they're going to say, we didn't bargain for this. 
No, no, if this has happened to me, then where are you, God? Are you real? They weren't ready. This creeped up on them. Let's continue on. Many will stop following me and fall away, and they'll betray one another and hate one another. And many lying prophets will arise, deceiving multitudes and leading them away from the path of truth. There will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness. It's happening today. That those whose hearts once burned with passion for God will grow cold. But keep your hope to the end, and you will experience life and deliverance. I believe he's referring to the Lord's return. Yet, through it all, this joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom, the gospel, will be proclaimed all over the world, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. And after this, this age, uh, after this, the end of this age will arrive. Okay? So during this time of great tribulation, where the Antichrist's wrath is being poured against the church, there's persecution everywhere, what does the church do? Lay down and die? No. You see, because the church is called to be light in the darkness. They're called to be order in the chaos, truth in the midst of the lies. And the people who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. They will show a demonstration of God's power. That's why today, as Paul said, we are not called as Christians to just debate with people. It's not through enticing words of man's wisdom. That's not how we lead people to Christ. It's through a demonstration of the Spirit of God and power. It's through the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that you can cut through hours and hours and hours of debate and you can have one simple word from the Holy Spirit that would cause the person to fall to the knees and say, God is real. He's real. And that's why he's stirring what he's stirring in our hearts today. It's not for our own amusement. It's not to fill a church. It's not to be the best show in town. We say that all the time. That's not what it's about. It's that people would come to Jesus Christ, that people would be saved from their sin, that people would be part of the family of God. That's the whole purpose of what God is doing. Now, this fifth seal is elaborated on in Revelation 13. Again, it begins exactly at the midpoint, and we know this because we're told in verse 5 that Antichrist will be allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. So for the last three and a half years of the seven years, he is going to be allowed to move in a way he wasn't allowed to up until that time. Here's what I was going to say. During the first three and a half years, what we see taking place when Antichrist, oh, I guess the Holy Spirit reminded me. There you go. Any case, I want to mess up your theology on how that exactly works. But, um, but what you're going to see is the first part of the seven years is if you have a world leader who's trying to make the world one, you imagine trying to get nations to give up their sovereignty. We see what's happening with Brexit, right? Britain getting out of the European Union. No, no, no. We want to make our own decisions. Well, you're going to have a lot of conflict going on those first few years because he's trying to force the world to be one government under his rule because Satan wants mankind to worship him. And nations are saying, no, we don't want to be. There's going to be skirmishes, wars, and unrest, and so on. There you go. It's out of the way for what it was worth. Okay. Um, I, I know you're following me. I just lost my notes here. Okay. Um, so up until this time, this 42 months where he's allowed to exercise authority, okay, up to this time, the first three and a half years, he's been restrained. But now, verse 7 says this. He was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. No such thing as tribulation saints. No, there's no such thing in the, in the scriptures, the vision. You won't find anywhere in the word of God that names these tribulation saints. There are saints in the tribulation. That's us if it happens soon. But there's not a division between the two. So he's allowed to make war against us, the church, and to conquer us. Verse 16 also says at that point, the three and a half year mark, that's when he is going to inflict his mark upon the world. And you will not be able to buy or sell unless you take the mark of the Antichrist, right? That's what Scripture talks about. And, and how many believe that technology is probably pretty close, if not here already? Yeah, we don't have, I don't have to read your newspaper articles and show you pictures, right? We're smart enough to know between biometrics and all that kind of... I mean, they do with the dogs already. Put a little chip on the dog, you can find them anywhere, okay? Same thing's going to happen with us. So this is what Paul was referring to in 2 Thessalonians 2 when he said this. Now... Regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. What's that talking about? The rapture? <laughs> You're like deer in the headlights. I don't know anymore. <laughs> okay, clearly the rapture, right? Regarding the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him. Right? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Caught up to be with the Lord in the air. Okay, it's safe. How many believe that's a rapture? 
Good time to raise your hand. Okay? Just we're on the same page. Okay, I'm not forcing anything here. Just let Scripture says what it says, and it's easy to understand. Okay? Before that day comes, what day? The rapture. Okay, I mean, is that clear? This was one of the reasons I could never preach any other position. When I come to the Scripture and say, Lord, what I've been taught doesn't work. It does not work, the fact that we're out of here before the tribulation comes. It doesn't work in Scripture. Unless I do some jockeying, it does not work. The Scripture is very clear. Before that day comes, what will happen? The falling away, the apostasy, the Greek word, must occur, and the destructive son, the Antichrist, the lawless one, will be revealed in his true light. That word is interesting because what it says to me is this, is that the world leader will be a false messiah for the first while, People are saying, oh, he's got the answer, or he seems to be a man of peace, and so on. In fact, the Bible describes him as a dragon with horns of a lamb. So on the outside, looks like a world leader bringing peace. In the inside, he's the devil himself, or the, or the works of darkness, okay? So, but at the three-and-a-half-year period, when he begins to turn his wrath against the human race, you must take the mark, and especially against the church in Israel, what's going to happen is going to show his true colors. Who he really is will come to light. Now, what will trigger these events? We'll talk more next week, but Jesus says the Antichrist will enter the temple in Jerusalem and he will desecrate the temple in Jerusalem by making the Holy of Holies place his own center of worship. Now, again, I'll talk more next week, but I found it fascinating when Vanessa and I were in Israel last February, we went to the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute is the organization that has been charged by the Israeli government to rebuild all the implements that are used in temple worship. So when you go into the showroom, encased in glass, are all the utensils for, for, for the uh, Levitical priesthood, all of the garments, uh, everything that you need. The, the red heifer has been rebreeded, which didn't even exist before. So all these things are ready for the temple to be rebuilt. But what I found particularly fascinating, when I was speaking to one of the gentlemen, I said, when do you think they will start to rebuild the temple? He said, oh, that's easy. We have it slated for 2022. In two and a half years, we plan to start building the temple. Kind of brings scripture and <laughs> a little closer to home, doesn't it? A little bit. Now, that's just their forecast. They could be right or wrong. Things might happen. Who knows? World politics. But it's very much on the radar. And I'll show you a video next, next week actually from Israel that advertises the coming of the building of the temple. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 24, When you witness what Daniel prophesied, the disgusting destroyer taking a stand in the holy place, let the reader understand. See, he wants us to understand. For this will be a time of great tribulation. Okay, so now we've moved into the second phase. Out of tribulation into great tribulation, beyond the magnitude of anything the world has ever seen or ever will see. Unless God limited those days, no one would escape. But because of his love for those chosen to be his, his church, he will shorten that time of trouble. Friends, I say this with all love, but I say it in all sincerity. God has marked some of us here this morning to die for our faith in Christ. I'm absolutely convinced of that. If we are here for that season, there are some of us here today, adults, children, whoever it may be, that the Lord has marked us to die for Christ. But I want us to keep this in mind because, you see, it's not all about us. All these things, all this tremendous upheaval and hardship that the world is going through, all people are going to experience that. It's not just beaten up with the church. The devil hates all mankind. If he was not held back from God, do you realize the devil would rip off every ounce of flesh from your body? He hates you so vehemently. It is only the grace of God that you're breathing, that he keeps back evil from doing what it would want to do if it had its way. So this hardship will be for all people in various ways. But many people, I believe, by the millions, will be looking for what? a demonstration of the reality of God. That's what they're going to look for. Because when everything is going great and you got two cars in the garage and whatever the case may be, you're vacationing, oh, who needs God? Let those things start getting stripped away. What happened 9-11? Churches were full for at least a week or two. Dust settled. Oh, okay, I can go back to my life. Some stuck, but a lot of people went back to what they were doing. So we don't know how long this time of great tribulation will last 
We only know it begins at the three-and-a-half-year mark, and it will last until Jesus shortens that time of trouble with his return. And now we come to the final seal in verse 12 of Revelation 6. And behold, I saw the Lamb break open the sixth seal, which released a powerful earthquake. I saw the sun become pitch black and the full moon become blood red. The stars fell from heaven to the earth as a fig tree shaken by a stormy wind sheds its unripe figs. The sky receded with a snap as a scroll rolls itself up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of the earth and its great princes and generals, the rich and powerful, everyone, whether they were slave or free, they ran for cover and hid in the caves and among the mountain boulders. They called out to the mountains and the boulders saying, fall on us at once. Hide us quickly from the glorious face of the one seated on the throne and from the what? And from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? You see, toward the latter part of the seven years, we don't know how far it in, five and a half, six years, we don't know, but toward the latter part, when it seems like all hope is lost, but the people of God know their God, they see the signs, they know the Lord's coming as soon. When the Lord comes for his church, we're taken, and then for the rest of the world, it's... Because the wrath begins. One last time, what the disciples ask. What is the supernatural sign that we should expect to signal your coming and the completion of the age? That's the question, right? Not complicated. What is the sign? Jesus goes through all these things that will precede that answer. And then he says in Matthew 24, immediately after the time of great tribulation, he's just talked about in all the previous verses, then immediately this is what will take place. The sun will be darkened, the moon... Now, are you seeing how Matthew 24 and Revelation 6 are the same? Right? You don't have to stretch it. It's right there in front of us, okay? So he's explaining the same event. The stars will fall from the sky. All the cosmic powers will be shaken. Then what? The sign. What was the question? Jesus, what's the sign? Now he says, then the sign that you just asked about. Announcing what? The Son of Man. He will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn over him. Just get this for a moment, okay? In an instant, everything goes black. Stars don't shine for whatever reason. The sun, the moon, total blackness. What do you have? You have the backdrop for Jesus, the Son of God, breaking onto the human scene. Bright light. The church is taken up to him, and what does the next verse say? And they will see the Son of Man appearing in the clouds of heaven, revealed with mighty power, great splendor, and glory. There's no such thing as a secret rapture. You will not find it in the Word of God. There is no such thing as a secret rapture. Every eye, Revelation 1-7, every eye will see Jesus when he comes. Why? Because it's the end of things. Everybody out of the pool. We're wrapping up, okay? The wrath of God will be poured out probably a relatively short period of time. It's going to happen, but every eye will see him. They will see the one they've rejected. They will see the one they mocked. They will see the one who's the Lord of the church that they've persecuted. They will see him, okay? So just get this. The Lord appears. What's the very next thing that happens? Next verse. And he will send his angels with a loud blast of the trumpet. What did 1 Thessalonians 4 say that we read? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven, right? With the trumpet sound of God. Exact same event. And with a great voice they will gather. What's the gathering? The rapture. We will be gathered together to him, his beloved chosen ones, by the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. The Lord appears. Every eye sees him. The church is gathered to him. Remember what Paul said in Corinthians? In chapter 15, he said, not all of us will die, but we will all be transformed. It'll happen in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. When the last trumpet, same thing, is sounded, the dead will come back to life. We will be indestructible. We will be transformed. The point is this. All the classic rapture passages that we read line up perfectly with what Jesus says in Revelation 6. And Matthew 24. Next week we're going to see the amazing grace and power of God at work in the dark days that lie ahead. 
Many nominal Christians are going to fall away. But many other Christians will get serious, get strong, begin to grow in Christ and experience what it really means to be sons and daughters of God. Many, many more will come to Christ for the first time in a time of unprecedented revival. And you may be thinking, well, Pastor, this sounds awfully depressing. That's what I get paid for, just to depress you. You know, that, that's how, you know, if you're raised in Pentecost, that's how you got saved, right? You felt really guilty. That's not a bad thing, by the way, if you're doing wrong. But friends, you see, the reason why it's so discouraging is because we're living for ourselves. That's why. I'm not saying that it's not serious. And yes, it's very sobering, but it's exciting. You know why? Because the very thing that we profess we're longing for, I know the very thing that all of mankind is looking for, is actually going to start to happen. Jesus is putting things in motion. Why? Not because he wants to give us a hard time. He is systematically dismantling this world order. He's coming back to take charge where there will be no more sin. There will be no more wars. There will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more brokenness, no more drug addictions, no more suicides, no more of any of the works of darkness. That's why Jesus is coming. That's what we're moving forward to. That's what Peter said. We're looking forward to a time when righteousness will dwell forever. That's what the Lord is bringing us toward. In the meantime, Peter says this. And I invite the worship team to come as we close this morning. Peter said to this to you and me, to believers, since all these things are on the verge of being dismantled, don't you see how vital it is to live a holy life? We must be consumed with godliness. Anybody starting to feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, come on, it's time that you get consumed with godliness. When you see things happen, isn't the Holy Spirit kind of saying to you, look, seeing you can't trust in all these things, don't you think it's kind of important that you start living a holy life? That you start living a separate life? Not separate in the sense that, you know, we're better than others. No, no. Separate unto God so that he can send you back into where the hurt and the pain and the lostness is and you actually have a power and a message to bring. That's how we ought to react. And how do you do that? Peter said, consecrate the Lord Jesus in your heart. What does that mean? It means start making him the master of your life. Stop messing around. Stop screwing around. Stop being apathetic with sin. Stop living the way that you want to live and justifying and say it's okay. If you know you're not right with God, get right with God. If you're living in sin, stop living in sin. That's what he's saying. If you've got habits that are wasting your time, wasting your life, polluting your mind, he says deal with it now. Consecrate Jesus in your heart. You don't have to worry about falling away. No, the Lord says later on in Revelation, he says, those who didn't take the mark were who? They were those who had their names written down in the Lamb's book of life. You don't have to worry about falling away if you'll consecrate yourself to Christ. But if you want to live sloppy, if you want to live lukewarm, if you want to live that way, go ahead. I promise you, this day will creep up on you, and you'll be caught unaware, and you will fall away. You won't stand. You won't make it. You will fall away. But you don't have to. You do not have to. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, the Bible says the day is coming when he will pour his wrath out upon the earth, wrap everything up, destroy unrighteousness and sin once and for all, and righteousness will dwell here forever. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, the Bible says this in John 3:36. Whoever has the Son, whoever trusts in Jesus, has life. Whoever does not trust in Jesus does not have life. And not only do you not have life, but God's wrath remains on you. Now, that doesn't mean that God's out to get you. No, God is for you. He's done everything he can to save you from the wrath to come. If you were to break the law today, what would happen? You'd get arrested, eventually brought before a judge, and he would render a guilty verdict, right? And then what he would say is this, something like this. Okay, you're going to come back in 30 days for your sentencing or 60 days for your sentencing. And so for the next 30 or 60 days, you're going, oh, man, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What am I going to get? Oh, I'm really messed up, right? You live in that because you don't know what the sentence is going to be. Well, we didn't understand it. If you don't know Jesus this morning or if you're just a fake Christian, people think you're saved, but you know you're not. God's wrath hovers over you. What does that mean? It means that if you draw your last breath today, you'll face the wrath of God. You'll face the judgment of God. It means if you happen to live until the times we've talked about it, when the wrath of God is poured out, you will face his wrath. In other words, you have already been declared guilty. And if you're guilty, you know you're guilty. 
Nobody has to convince you. If you don't know Jesus, you know you don't know Jesus. So you've been declared guilty for your sin. But the day of sentencing is coming. But before the sentencing takes place, you know what God the Father, the judge, did because he loves you so much? He stood up from behind his desk. He took off his judge's robe. He came down into this world as a human being, just like you and me, lived a perfect life. And he went to the cross in his son, Jesus Christ. The perfect sacrifice. What did Jesus do on the cross? He took all of your sin. In other words, he took the wrath of God that you deserve upon himself. Was separated from God. Died. Rose again to show his sacrifice. Was accepted by the Father. So that if you will trust in him and stop living for yourself, he will forgive you your debt. Wash away your sin make you his son or daughter, that you can have full confidence before him. But only you can decide what kingdom you're going to serve. Only you can decide whether you're going to be serious or a nominal Christian. Only you can decide that. But if you will allow him to, he will save you. That's what it means. He will save you from the wrath that is to come that you know you deserve. But he doesn't want you to have to go through because he doesn't want to live without you. So he died in your place. But you can't flaunt that in his face and live the way you want. You have to say, today, I choose to receive his sacrifice. Will you bow your heads? I'm not going to prolong the service this morning. I just want to give you the opportunity. If you're here this morning and you know that you don't know Jesus, it doesn't mean, oh, people say I'm a good person. I don't being good or bad. That's a relative human term. It doesn't matter. It's how you stand before God. And you're here this morning and you can't say with absolute certainty, I know Jesus, I know I'm forgiven, I know I'm his, and I know the Father. If you can't say that, but you want to be able to say that, I'm going to ask you to just slip your hand up right now. I'm not going to prolong the service. Don't put it off. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? You've never opened your heart to Jesus. I don't care what games you're playing. God knows. Listen, we all play them. We all get fooled. He's just saying, get serious this morning. I don't mean be theatrical. You can walk out this door and drop dead. And you'll be standing before God that you don't know with wrath. But he wants you to know him as your father. Is there anybody else before we close the service? Don't Jesus, put it off. Jesus, don't wait. You've sensed the presence of God. You've experienced God. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Why not receive his love and know him this morning? Why not let him change your life? Is there anybody else? Just nice and high. I don't want to miss anybody. Don't want to miss anybody. stand together.